Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Slow Home Podcast. I feel like that hello was a bit um, insane. Hello! That's insane. Hello! Just a bit full on. Anyway, how are you? Um, good to be sitting with you. That's insane because you actually re- you answered just your question. <laughs> I'm talking so to if you myself. want insane, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> did you have a nice day? I really did. Really did. It was uh, productive and uh, it was nice to have the kids at home and. Uh, my husband's a wonderful man, and don't go too. Mm. That's just mm. that is crazy. Mm. Well, you know what they always say: forty-two is the the tipping point for podcasts. Oh, right. Mm. Is that when the host starts to lose their mind? A little bit. Right. Well, we're we're right on track. <laughs> anyway, welcome to episode forty-two. It's the first um, non-McCallery-centric podcast of the year. For quite a while, yeah. actually. It's good. It's good to be back. This is a, this is a cracking conversation to, um, to kick us off with, I think. Yeah, so who are you interviewing? I'm interviewing myself. I'm very good at it. Yeah. Do you think you're good at it? Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I'm good at it. Um, no, I'm chatting with Stacey Roberts of uh, The Veggie Mama. The Veggie Mama. The Veggie Mama. Um, we had an awesome conversation. Last week, um, you know, how was Stace? She's she's good. She's always good. She's um she's just funny and honest and just owns who she is, which I really like about her. And uh, I I mean I learned quite a bit about her actually in this conversation. And I know a lot of people who listen, um, particularly, well, not necessarily. I was going to say particularly Australian listeners, but probably. A lot of people read Stacey's blog, but she writes um, she writes about life and travel and, and parenting a little bit, but loads of amazing vegetarian recipes. Yeah, and thankfully you don't you didn't mention a lot when I was editing it, otherwise I would have been craving. What would you have been craving? Her non fish fish cakes? Perhaps. They're delicious. I just saw a picture of what were they fried southern southern fried tofu. Yeah, yeah, that's my sort of. That's your jam. That's my jam. If I'm going to eat veggie, then I'm then I'm going to eat it in the most <laughs> decadent way possible. Exactly. <laughs> most meaty, non-meaty way possible. <laughs> the cooking, the cooking technique will it's be will be the most fattening. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> Why was it when I said fattening, you just gave me the big look and you looked up and down at me? No reason. <laughs> you have you actually have embraced vegetarian eating quite a lot over the last. Yeah. Aside from not, the ten kilo ham you ate over Christmas, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a vegetarian. No, I know you're not, yeah. but you've been quite happy to eat yeah. more vegetarian meals. Yeah. Like when I'm cooking something, you'll have whatever I'm having. Or more, than I, I think I'm a lot more of a pescatarian now. Yeah. Like I'm eating, eating Far less more. red meat. Yeah, far less red meat, far less chicken really. Yeah. A lot more seafood and a lot more beans and lentils and, yeah, and things. Pulses. Yeah, that I'm I'm not um have not historically been huge fans of. But for whatever reason I I'm really enjoying It's because I'm a good cook. the lighter side of eating. Oh, it's um it's been nice. Uh, and anyway, Go on to Veggie Mama if you want. Yeah. If you want that, yeah, don't stuff. listen to us. We're clowns. But veg, uh, but <laughs> Stacey knows her veg. 
Um, and Stacey actually will – you'll be hearing a bit more of Stacey in about a month or two. She's launching a, uh, a new podcast with Carly Jacobs all about uh, Sweet Valley High and I cannot wait to listen to it. On Jackrabbit FM. On Jackrabbit, yes. Uh, and, yeah, they're just tops and funny ladies. What else is happening? Well, um, I'm not even sure who sponsors this podcast today. Oh, didn't you know? No. It's Audible. It's audible.com. Did you know what else Audible does apart from amazing audiobooks like Seth Godin and Julia Cameron and uh, Amy Poehler? They support emerging communication mediums like podcasting. They, They do. But they do kids' books. It's not something that I've ever really given a lot of thought to using Audible for, but um, they've got all Roald Dahl's books, for example. For real? Yeah. Uh, Matilda, I think, is read by Kate Winslet. Wow. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's so cool. Road trips, plane trips, you know. Oh, totally Slow, sleepy Sunday afternoons, just listening to an audio book. Uh, so if you oh. are interested in getting a free Audible book, maybe you've got kids, maybe you go- just like Roald Dahl. I've got a good idea. So we bought Isla... Matilda and the James and the Giant Peach, like mini novels. Well, not mini, they're half picture book, half novel, but I think it's the whole lot novel in there, isn't it? Yeah. She could listen to it and read it at the same time. She could. And learning to read. And then, yeah. So anyway, if you have kids or enjoy a good kid's book told by an amazing actor, head to Audible, go to audibletrial.com forward slash slow. and um, <clears throat> Clear your throat. Yep. And you can get yourself a free audiobook and 30-day trial of Audible. So thank you, Audible, for your uh, support. As always, if you wanted to get the show notes for today's episode, uh, and that's where you can find links to Stacey's blog, which is theveggiemama.com, veggie with two Gs. I always get confused with that. Um, And she's also on all social media outlets you can find all the links to that at slowyourhome.com forward slash 42 before we get into our conversation sorry you're rolling your eyes at me like this intro is going on a while um (laughs) monday don't forget monday monday we start our first monday 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 (laughs) we start our first um like double week of of publishing shows. Monday we are doing our weekly – it'll be a shorter show, but that's where we talk through our um, monthly experiment, our slow living experiment. And so, for the month of February, it is uh, – We're giving up processed sugar. sugar. Yeah. Um, sugar, sugar. Do, 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 do. No, honey, honey. <laughs> that is the first and last time you will hear me sing in public. Uh, yeah, but we're giving up sugar and if you wanted to, of course, follow along, you listen to us on Monday, but if you wanted to join us by giving up your processed sugar for the month of Feb, you can hashtag uh, slow home experiment and let us know how you're going. So just to, for those that want to sort of prepare beforehand, we're going off sugar or processed sugar and that includes, sh- we're going off fruit? Um, yeah, most fruit. Like I'm not going to sit there and eat a banana for the next month. But I might have some in a smoothie or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I'm not. We can't all be as hardcore as you. And I and also alcohol going off that, which that sort of is a no brainer. What else? What other ones are sort of a fifty fifty? Oh, honey and things like honey. that. Yeah, yeah. Dried fruit, 
it's a big one for me. I Are you going to, off that? Yeah. 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 It was just dates. I would put dates in things to sweeten them up. So, but anyway, we'll talk and about that I more don't, on Monday. I, I can't see how I can do this. Seriously. Really? I, I, I just, right now, there's no possible way I'm going to be able to do this. But anyway, we're, we're blubbering on and we blabbering on. We're blubbering blabberers. Episode 42, Stacey Veggie Mama. Enjoy, Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Brooke. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent for a Friday morning. I know. It's Friday. Thank goodness. Not that it matters. It's holidays anyway, but... (laughs) True. (laughs) But still, you know, you you get those Sunday vibes, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, How was your Christmas? Really good. Really quiet. Lots of food, lots of friends, lots of eating, eating, eating. It was amazing. Good. How was yours? About the same. (laughs) Just lots of eating and drinking and <laughs> relaxing and reading and it was good. It was really nice. Just exactly what the doctor ordered. It's that time of year, isn't it? It feels so good. <sighs> exactly. And we were talking we talked a bit like over email, um uh, during like Christmas, New Year period, and I think we were both just shattered by the end of the year. Um so it was really yes. nice to have that like that break in in routine and, and rhythm and stuff and just to dive face first into a plate of food it was really nice (laughs) I actually felt once it was all over yeah I had had such a big couple of years and I needed such a break um when I I thought you know I'm never going to get out of this sort of funk that I'm in and by January 1 I was like I feel like a new person like I really needed that break it was so good for the soul yeah if I had a soul (laughs) well that's a bit of a bummer that you don't have a soul anyway um yeah, so like just on that, do you think that, you know, that feeling of coming to the end of the year and just being just a, like a husk of a person because you're so shattered and so done, do you think it's like, do you think it's indicative of spreading ourselves too thin or do you think it's just life, like everyone gets to the end of the year like that? Um, that's such a good question. I... I think it's something that sort of everybody feels because you feel like sort of the end of the year, the start of a new one is just sort of a, a, a bit of a chance to, I don't know, change some things up. So by the end of the year, that's almost like a goalpost that you're working toward because I wouldn't necessarily say I'm I'm super spread too thin. I, I'm actually quite intentional about working quite mindfully but still at the end of the year you just sort of think you know that's that's going to be a brand new start for me and I'm really looking forward to that if I can just get through you know a bit of the doldrums in in December so I don't know I can't speak for everybody but I sort of feel as though everyone I'd spoken to had felt a bit that way yeah I think um you're right because I'm not a big new year's resolution kind of person but I always find myself uh, at the end of the year, in the beginning of the new year, I, I do feel rejuvenated and it's always interesting. I think it's more a chance to kind of stop and reflect as well um, because, you know, once you get into the swing of the year and things happen and, you know, you find your rhythm, it's not always something that we make time to do to like stop and reassess and recalibrate. So I think it's 
I mean, that paired with the fact that a lot of us do get time off over Christmas and New Year, it's a really nice time to just um, sit and rethink and, uh, you know, and I guess come back refreshed. And I always, I always hit January 1 excited, regardless of the fact that, you know, I don't put a huge amount of weight in the fact like New Year, New Me kind of thing. I always feel excited on January 1. I do too. It's just the whole year is ripe with possibility. Nothing's happened yet. It could, you could go anywhere. You could do anything. The possibilities are endless. Such a good feeling. It, it really, it really is. Um, so, like you, you do a lot. Like with your work, you work, um, and you've got kids, and you know, you meditate, and you do yoga, and you're like you're a, you have a full life. Um, but like you say, you you work intentionally and mindfully, which I can totally see in you. You always seem very calm and in control. Have you always been someone who lives intentionally, or is that something that you've learnt over time? No, 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 I was not. No, <laughs> no, that's it, I, to, to be honest, I did learn it quite young and it stood me in very good stead. Um, but no, I was quite an anxious child. I was very cynical. I didn't come from a great background, so I carried a lot of that baggage with me. Um, and I, I, I had to work through a lot of um, feeling like nothing was worth it or, you know, not really caring about things to actually coming to a place where um, I came to each day with the right mindset and changed a lot about my thought patterns and how I felt about things to a more positive mindset. And then I sort of worked from a balance of calm and positivity and happiness and niceness and kittens and butterflies and, (laughs) you know, lovely things. (laughs) All of those things, which were a complete 180 to what I had been. Um, and it, it did take a, a fair while to get through to the other side. Um, but no, it's something that I really had to work on to to always sort of be mindful of how what my energy was like, how I felt, what I was putting into the world, and therefore scheduling my days around what was going to keep me in that zone. Mm. So um, like you talk about making that shift to like more positive mindset and more positive way of thinking. And then you, you mentioned that it took you time to like to learn that. Of course, it's, you know, an ongoing process. But how, what kind of steps and what sort of things did you do to start making that shift? I guess that I would learn from people. And the more that I saw that it worked for them, the more I wanted that kind of life for myself. So I sort of, you know, this is almost before the internet, I'd have to go to the library and and check out some books on being mindful and positive energy. And I guess back in those days, those books were more on the the crunchy hippie scale than I guess they are today. So I also incidentally read a lot about crystals and spirituality. And, you know, my mum was very interested in these things at the time. And she taught me how to meditate when I was quite young and taught me about the the types of thoughts you put out to the world you know the type of energy you put out is the type of energy you get back and that's as I was a teenager so I always found that that made a lot of sense to me but then I read things like Louise Hayes books about healing yourself and and I, I got um, an education sort of through books that taught me about that kind of sort of energy Um, And then as time went on, you know, Oprah started getting into that kind of stuff and then she introduced me, not personally, of course, to Eckhart Tolle and, you know, the way he sort of 
thinks about you're only alive in this now moment and these are the only sort of thoughts that will really do any good for you. So it was mostly just me sort of teaching myself through books and, and people that I had seen on TV or online. And But it worked. It's done wonders for me. I wouldn't be without it now. Um, they're really kind of powerful lessons to learn as a teenager. I think most people get – well, I, actually, I can't speak for most people. I can speak for myself. As a teenager, I kind of just got through my life um, pretty – self-absorbed and you know it wasn't until I hit my 20s really that I started thinking anything beyond like the shallowest thoughts about that kind of stuff um so I mean that must have set you up really from a really strong positive place I guess as a teenager which would be an amazing place to start kind of your adult life from yes and no um because I still had a very rough teenagerhood I had a lot of big feels. I felt them all mm-hmm. and they were all very, um, they were huge, but they were life-changing. So the things that I learned then sort of fast-forwarded me through, I guess, what other people's 20s were doing for them. So I, I say sort of by 21, I had I'd figured out what was going to be the best way for me to move forward you know, in my head that I had learnt so much. I had, I lived with an abusive boyfriend for uh, several years in my teens. Yeah, I moved out of home quite young. I was about 16. Um, I just, I was sort of, it was almost forced upon me that I had to figure out these kinds of things or I was going to go through life confused and angry and that's sort of not really how I wanted to, to spend the next 80 years of my life. So I had a couple of breakups in that in that teen years and sort of the last real bad one was when I was about 20 and that was when I realized I needed to stop being dependent on other people to be happy and when I you know I had a breakup with a he was a lovely boy but we were never sort of ever going to last the distance but the breakup from him was just so earth shattering because I wasn't just breaking up with him I was breaking up with old patterns and old thoughts about who I was and what I needed from people. And I spent a lot of time sort of soul searching in that year, that that year that I was 20 and thought a lot about where I was headed and the kind of, of mindset I wanted to have as I was heading into it. So yeah, my early twenties, I just spent partying and I had felt so good then because I had lost all of the embarrassment and the self-consciousness that I felt as a teenager and the whole you know the world's against me and I hate everybody sort of feeling of my early teens so by yeah by 21 or 22 I was just I was coasting I was having a fantastic time that's really interesting like listening to you explain a bit of that because one of the things when I think about you you're always someone who's just yourself like um, whenever I've spoken to you or even reading your writing, um, like you just own who you are. And I think that's an incredibly valuable thing. And to have kind of come to that, uh, you know, at such a young age is awesome. Because I, I feel like I'm only getting to that point now in my 30s. Um, so I guess, I mean, I know really horrible things have kind of happened in your late teens and early 20s. Do you view them not in and of themselves, but the the kind of fallout of that as a positive thing because it brought you towards you know a more positive mindful way of living 
Um, I do think that I probably would have learned them anyway. I think that was just my destiny to learn those things. Mm -hmm. But it probably would have happened sort of later on in life. So I'm glad they happened when I was younger. And you sort of have that a bit of bravado when you're a kid. Like you just think you can handle anything. And, you know, you'll never die. Like you just, you know, you've got that mindset as a teenager where you're just so reckless. And you, yeah, you may as well try that. You never know where you're going to end up. So I sort of had that carefree attitude. Um, so I think if I was to reach those milestones and those lessons now, I'd be far more anxious about it and I would be far more, I guess, negative about the outcome of it. So, yeah, I'm glad they happened when I was younger, although it would be nice if I didn't have to go through yeah, them at all. Absolutely. I just sort of magically, you know, got to 35 and was amazing. But, yeah, no, I just I, I do look back on that and I almost feel like it happened to a, a different person. Like I feel sorry for that poor girl who went through that, but it doesn't feel necessarily like it was me. I've always felt in my head that I was old, like I'm an old old soul maybe but I felt that throughout my whole life so I always knew I was going to be okay I just didn't know how yeah okay I think that's um uh, yeah that makes a lot of sense I think when you think about what we were like as teenagers and like that you know like you said that bravado um and that self-confidence that uh you know things will be okay because why wouldn't they like I'm a mortal sort of thing um yeah okay um so you said that your mum introduced you to meditation um and you still meditate regularly don't you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah every day awesome so um like, first of all I guess do you have any insight into how to begin for people who want to to start kind of digging into the idea of meditation um and also, you know, how you find time for it. So you've got two two little kids, um, you know, under five or so. So I think that's something that other people really struggle with, like finding time and space for that, even though they understand that it's of a huge benefit. So how do you find the time for it? I keep it very short. I do 10 minutes in the morning and I do 10 minutes at night. And sometimes if I forget, then that's okay. I'll just start again tomorrow. I sort of, when I first began meditating, um, when mum taught me, she was very much into spirituality and meditating to her was almost like being able to communicate with a higher power or with, you know, the energy of the spirit world and, you know, perhaps get a bit of, um, what's that guy, John Edwards, who who speaks crossing over to the other side. Like she was really into that. She was like, you know, perhaps I can, I can, I can start talking to dead people too. So that's sort of how I came into it and I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, I don't particularly want to talk to any spirits but I really like the the centering of yourself, the bringing yourself, your head into right now, this moment. I sort of had quite trouble with as a kid sort of um, ruminating on past embarrassments and things that I felt guilty about and, you know, I I was quite shy and I was very self-conscious as a child so... You know, I would think about that a lot and I would, it would just I would hardly sleep and it was a terrible thing to go through. And as I meditated, like I realized that this is the only time. There's no point thinking about in the past because, you know, that's in the past. I can't change it. I can only change how I feel about it now. So meditating to me was really helpful in concentrating on my breath and sort of getting rid of all the other thoughts and just thinking about me right now and this is what I'm doing so I got kind of addicted to that. It was almost like a, a balm to my my poor, sad little soul that was, you know, 
upset about who she was and and the life she was leading. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was sort of something that I've carried on. I haven't done it consistently for the last however many years, twenty. Um, but it's been a common thread, and if I've ever dropped that thread, I've picked it up again. And and now, yeah, I really try to make a, a conscious effort to do it twice a day. Only ten minutes doesn't take long. Do it in bed. Don't even have to get up. <laughs> See, that's perfect. <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's the other thing. You know, people they come to the idea of it. And they're like, meditation sounds like something I want to do, but it's like it's a commitment, you know, you have to get up and you have to sit in a special spot and you have to allow, you know, 30 minutes for it or whatever. Um, I'm by no means someone who is well-versed in meditation, but even for me, even something as little and brief and, you know, seemingly inconsequential as um, sitting down for one minute and counting my breaths in and out for one minute is enough. You know, it doesn't need to be this huge um, commitment of time and mental energy to to start you know I think like this of course there's a whole spectrum of of practice but um, you know I guess that would be my encouragement as well is just make time make one minute make five make ten minutes a day and just kind of dive in and get started yeah Oprah used to sit in a closet in the middle of the day like if she was having such a a, a big day and she was you know being pulled from pillar to post she would go and hide in the cupboard and just center herself and it took a few minutes and she would sort of get her head right and then come back out and face the rest of the day and you know with little kids sometimes that's what I have to do too and you know if it's only a minute here and there or if I'm slowly counting to 10 because I'm getting cranky it's still something that sort of pulls you out of your head and into this moment and you can start again if you're having a crap day you can you know, count your breath for a minute and then press press restart on your day. That was the most powerful thing for me coming into kind of living more intentionally and mindfully, realizing that like I wake up in a shitty mood. That's not my destiny for the day. Like I can do something about that. I can reset. I can take a moment, get out of my head, get out of the negative thought patterns and begin again. And when I realized that it was something that you said before, like you um, stopped putting all of your identity and all of your weight in what other people thought of you and, you know, other people and your, your relationships to other people. And I think this, the kind of flip side to that is also realizing that we can choose our reactions and our responses, you know, and there's a, there's a whole sort of liberation in understanding that we can choose. And that, that was probably one of the biggest things that I realized was that, you know, this is in my control. Yes. And what a wonderful thing to be in control of. You know, it's terrible when you think if you wake up in a in a bad mood or whatever that that has to set the tone for the day. And it is difficult to get out of a bad mood once you're in it. Like I'm not saying you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're happy. You know, it would be pretty glib of me to say that. But it, you are in control. No one can make you feel anything without your permission. And if that's you that's making you think negative thoughts, then only you can change it. And it's, you know... It does take a bit of work, but it is worth it. It's it's an effort that, you know, brings so much joy when you get to the other side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's um, it's also practice as well, I think, and also letting go of perfection because some days are just going to not be the best days and that's also fine. You know, it's not, a, it's not like a, a one-size-fits-all kind of remedy for life. <laughs> so, no, no, definitely not. Yeah, exactly. So um, 
you talk uh, in a recent post, you were talking about um, clutter, but you specifically mentioned that your aim in your home is pretty minimalism, which I really love. I think that's such a nice term. Um, like, what does that mean to you and, you know, the home that, that you've created? It means that I can have things that are of absolutely no use to anybody, but they bring me joy because they're pretty or they remind me of something, you know. If I bought a vase the other day from the op shop and it was only a couple of dollars, but I just love every time I walk past it, I'm like, gee, I'm glad I bought that. I mean, I probably never put anything in it, <laughs> but it's just, it's pretty and it makes me happy. So if, if my environment is eye-pleasing and it makes us all feel good um, and there's sort of, you know, not a thousand things in there screaming for my attention, then that to me is pretty minimalism and it, it makes us feel happy to live in this environment. I think that's beautiful. You know, it's that idea of, um, you know, Will, William Morris's quote, have nothing in your home that is not beautiful or useful. Um, and I think I always add meaningful as well to that. But um, there's nothing wrong with something that's beautiful just for the sake of being beautiful or joyful or fun. Yeah. You know? And I think when mm-hmm. we get into um, all the different kind of areas of simple living and minimalism, people go really hardcore into just the useful. Um, yes. You know, which is fine because that works for some people. But I also think that just beauty for the sake of beauty is, you know, it's what makes a home. I agree. And I think that even if there are things that aren't necessarily useful in a practical sense, they're useful in a sense that they bring, you know, brightness to that corner. That piece of art makes you feel something. It's just nice to look at. I don't think, you know, I don't subscribe to the ideal that minimalism means nothing but practical items. But, yeah, something that can also bring you joy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, were you always like a, someone who tended towards minimalism? Um, yes and no. <clears throat> yes, because we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so it was kind of thrust upon me to be a minimalist. I didn't have a lot of things. Um, I went to school with a lot of people who had a lot of things, and, and by default I sort of felt like I was missing out. Um so, of course, when I got my own money, I bought a lot of stuff. Um, but I sort of still had that that undercurrent of I don't need it, mm. therefore I don't need to buy it. So I buy, you know, candles and things that I thought were nice, but, again, they were still pretty useful. Um, but as I've gotten older, I sort of I still have that feeling of, of being frugal and if I don't need it, I won't buy it unless it makes me happy. So... There was a time then, yes, I had minimalism thrust upon me and then I sort of broke out of that and and bought what I wanted. But in the end, really what I wanted was, I guess, pretty minimalism. And how do you stay on top of, you know, stuff? I guess um, a lot of people find when kids come along, stuff comes along with them and that can be overwhelming at times. Do you deal with that in a particular way or have you kind of relaxed your your approach to stuff um, to accommodate your family? We still don't really have a lot of stuff. I'm not a big shopper. I don't buy a lot of stuff, um, particularly for the kids. I mean, they've got beautiful toys and they play with those toys and they're happy with those toys and their birthdays are six months apart so they get new toys every six months and, you know, it's just enough. Um, But I'm also pretty happy to purge things when necessary so we don't have a lot of stuff um and when I do get rid of stuff 
to have more stuff. Um, I, I feel like it's we're still at a good balance. There have been times when I've been too ruthless with, with donating some of our items. There are a few things that I, I wish I hadn't been so hasty about. Um, but on the whole, I think we just sort of, we, we shop mindfully. So I think about, you know, having to tidy up all the stuff. It's the stuff tidying that I can't handle. I don't, I'm too lazy. <laughs> so I just don't buy all the things that I have to, you know, clean up later. But with kids, obviously, they, they haven't learnt the we pack away one item before we get another out. So, you know, I'm not chasing them with a dust buster or anything. I, I, I let them play and then we tidy up. So I'm kind of relaxed about it, but I also don't sort of, I don't buy a lot of things. Yeah, I think there's definitely a balance um, because you could, I mean, I I very easily could have slipped into the really overly, you know, obsessed parent cleaning up after their kids constantly but that brings this kind of nervous energy to Mm. us and I want my kids to feel like they're allowed to make a mess and be creative and be free in their space because it's their home you know um but I guess you can kind of keep that manageable when there is less stuff and that's sort of we we approach it in a really similar way do you feel okay about decluttering your kids stuff without them knowing Yes. Mm, me too. Yes. And to my knowledge, they haven't noticed anything yet. It's really only sort of soft toys and things because I, I tend to buy toys with longevity. You know, we, we have wonderful wooden toys. We have lots of Lego and, you know, things that we can sort of add to later. But it's sort of when they get a gift of, you know, soft toys and things and I, I declutter those, they sort of don't even notice. But then the people who bought them are like, oh, remember when we bought that? Thing and the kid is like, oh, yeah, we were at the place. And I'm like, oh, that's gone to the up shop. Mm-hmm. Whoops, Daisy. I didn't think they would notice. And But they never ask for it. So I never sort of – I never give away anything that they play with. And I'm fortunate in that they play with pretty much everything that we have. So I haven't had to, to be too too decluttery with their, with their toys. But, yeah, there have been times when I've bought something and thought, oh, you know, like little Sylvanian families and everything's just so teeny tiny and absolutely adorable. But you're finding like cups and, and bits of plastic cake, you know, halfway down the stairs because the cat's thrown it down there and you're like, oh, what have I done here? But the girls love it and just hearing them play, I think it's worth it. We don't have a lot of stuff and they play with the stuff they do have. So, And that's, I mean, that's exactly, and that's also what kids do. You know, they play, they learn by playing and, you know, we're similar. We don't have a lot of noisy toys. Like it's all imaginative play and, you know, things that they can pull together and play dolls houses or whatever, you know, dinosaurs and cars or dinosaurs and fairies and, um, you know, things that allow them to, to kind of play, um, imaginatively, um, is sort of what we try and buy or encourage as well. But we've had, a, I've had a few moments like that where um, I've quite happily let go of things that the kids have been given, like simply because they don't play with it or they don't need it or they, you know, they just show zero interest in it. And it's only maybe the gift giver who would ever raise it. It's really interesting to me that the kids, like they, they recognize it, they remember it, they go, oh, yeah, you know, you got me that doll from such and such a place, but they never ask for it. And I think that's just kind of indicative of the fact that it's so easy to overwhelm our kids with stuff and their needs and desires are actually much simpler and smaller, I think, than we would assume. I think, um, you know, if you give – of course, if you give kids 100 things, they're going to want those 100 things. Um, but if you take away 75 of them, they're probably not going to notice. 
No. And I do find that the the toys that I want to buy for them are the toys I want to play with myself. <laughs> and I have to stop and remember, no, these are for the kids. You know, buy them something that they will enjoy. So the Sylvanian families are sort of part because they love it and part because I do. Um, but, yeah, I tend to sort of think, well, that, you know, they don't they don't get a lot of stuff. They don't get a lot of gifts. So, I, you know, I don't really have to deal with that kind of interpersonal sort of problem if you've, if you've given away something that somebody has given to them very often. But I do find that however we've done it, whether I've sort of come by this or accident or design, but we, we're on a pretty good wicket. You know, they, they play with what we have. I'm happy with what we have. It's, it, we're on a good vibe. Awesome. Um, so kind of a similarly but not really similarly related question. Um, so with, I mean, you, you're someone who embraces simple living. Um, you work, you've got kids, you cook a lot of amazing foods. Some of your recipes <laughs> are like my favorites. Um, you meditate, you preserve food, you do yoga, you know. Um, do you ever feel like living a simple life is actually really complicated <laughs> complicated like there's a lot of different parts to living a simple life <laughs> yeah I see what you mean and I I did hear that you mentioned it in a previous podcast where people were like you know if I'm making food from scratch then that's that's not convenient that's not living simply but to me it's it's sort of living on my own terms so if I want to go and pick strawberries and then make jam for the rest of the year I don't have to buy jam for the rest of the year like that it might be a lot of work for one day, but it's significantly cutting down the kind of work that I have to do in the future. So, but it also makes me happy. I really love doing that. I like sort of keeping the tradition alive of of preserving our own food and, you know, really being mindful about what we're eating in our kitchen and making a lot of things by hand and from scratch. I also crochet, I sew, you know, I really enjoy doing that. And I think that if if there are people who enjoy simple living and they don't enjoy, you know, handcraft or things like that, that's fine. They can, you know, not everybody has to to sort of come under the umbrella of simple living. But if that extra work makes me happy, then I'm more than happy to include it. I would much prefer, like, I, I don't mind shopping, but I really don't enjoy it. So, you know, if I can sort of stay at home and, and make something and the girls are still young enough to not care about what they're wearing, then, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm going to do. But, yeah, it, I don't know. It's not for everybody, but it, it makes me happy. I think that's a really good point because people will look at, um, you know, simple living blogs or Instagram feeds or whatever and they'll they'll see all these different elements of simple living that people – um, you know, throw themselves into, like cooking from scratch or making clothes or vegetable growing, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think we kind of tend to aggregate all those things into the simple life. You know, there's this one simple life and if we want to live simply, we need to kind of do all these things and, and do all the simple living things. Um, whereas, I, I mean, I just don't see the value in that because if you don't enjoy um, sewing or if you don't enjoy growing vegetables or you're not able to because you know you're busy doing other things that's fine like there's no wrong way of doing it um or there's no like, right way of doing it either uh it's just kind of a matter of what works for you and what your priorities are and what your motivations are and i think when people kind of um let go of this ideal version of a simple life and engage with what it is that 
they really want to do and want to get out of life, that's when you start to find the space. And even though you might be doing more, you know, like you say, it might take longer, I, I guess, on the face of it to make jam, but you really enjoy it. It doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like something that you want to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, giving up the ideal of the ideal simple life is, is almost like the, giving up the ideal of the ideal fast life. You know, it's, it's not living by anybody else's terms or by anyone else's standards. It's by living mindfully in alignment with who you want to be and how you want your family to run and, and what kind of day you want to wake up to every day. Like I don't grow my own vegetables at the moment because I live in a, in a city townhouse and I don't have the space. So I buy vegetables from other people who have the space and the inclination to grow them. And then, you know, I get them and I have to wash them and I think this is a pain in the ass. But this is how vegetables are supposed to be, you know. They're not really supposed to come fully blasted and, and in little plastic packages. So, you know, if I'm not growing them, then I'm at least washing them and eating them. So, I don't know, it's it's how you want to spend your day and if it's making you happy and you're living, you know, holistically with how you want life to be, then that's your simple life. Exactly. I think um, – and also realising that is part of the process too, I think. You know, I spoke to B Johnson last year about zero-waste living and, uh, you know, she, she said when she first dove into the whole movement of zero-waste living, she did everything herself and she thought that the only way to do it was to make everything from scratch and kind of take control at that micro level um, on in every way and she kind of burnt out on it doing it that way and she's like well you know I don't really enjoy baking my own bread but the bakery down the road will give me zero waste bread you know she takes her, her own bag and she's like it's fine to buy it I don't need to do it all myself in order to to kind of buy into this lifestyle I think simple living's not dissimilar no I totally agree and I think if you're overcomplicating it if you're overcomplicating your simple living then, you know, it's not sustainable and it's not going to make you happy. That's, uh, like, yeah. And, you know, I'm more than happy to outsource things that I don't want to do, but I also am more than happy to have a go at something that sounds like I probably could do it if I just spent a, a bit of time sort of trying to get my head around it. So I do bake my own bread, but it's in a bread maker and it, it's it's wonderful. It's great bread. We eat it. We have no complaints. I, but I'm not doing anything except putting the ingredients in and turning the button on. You're a rebel. <laughs> well i gotta do it my way um do you subscribe to the idea of work-life balance oh that's such a good question because i've been reading lately about people going it doesn't exist it doesn't exist and to me with the kind of work that i do my work is my life basically my my blog is is me and even the work that i do with pro blogger is still my choices and and my you know it's it's a lot of me goes into that so I guess what I've had to learn with such a 24-hour cycle work cycle as blogging is I've had to work around boundaries and can I have a day where everything's balanced perfectly or am I more having sort of weeks weeks where I, I work really well and my house is filthy and other weeks where home is harmonious um, but maybe work, you know, my blog gets sort of neglected a little bit. So I kind of work more in, in flow, in seasons. So at the end of a year, I can look back and say I spent my life in balance. I feel as though I've spent a good amount of time on each thing. 
but I wouldn't necessarily say day-to-day I practice work-life balance. Yeah, I feel I feel very similar um, in my approach. I think the problem with the idea of work-life balance, um, it's probably twofold. I think it's when it's separating work from life because I think, I mean, particularly with the kind of work we do, yes, work really is integrated heavily into life because we produce things you know, about our lives and under our name and that kind of thing. But also, I mean, even if you work outside the home, um, your work, your job is part of your life. And I think there's a problem there when we start to make them very separate because, you know, maybe people um, think or have different values in their work than they would in their home life. And, you know, that's kind of problematic. But I think the other, the other thing is when you're trying to look at work-life balance on a daily um, on a daily level, it's really difficult to feel like you, you balance anything well. Like you said, it's kind of if you move back to the year, like your 10,000 foot view, you view an entire year and say, do, do I feel like I gave everything that's important to me the time that it deserved over that year? And I think that's a much kind of healthier way of approaching it. I, you know, I talk about tilting. So, like you said, you tilt into work for a week and you tilt away from the housework and, you know, so what? Because the next week you tilt into working through stuff that you need to do at home and spending really quality time with family and you tilt away from work and it's kind of that flow. That's where I think the balance lies. Yeah, and I had to be very mindful about sort of turning off at a certain time and not always having... So, uh, my mind in two camps. So when you're first sort of growing a blog and, and you're trying to get it out there, it can take up so much of your time. And particularly now, you know, I'll get an email at all hours asking about a recipe and I think, oh, that poor person's making it right now. <laughs> you know, I feel as though I need to answer them right now. Um, but there have been times when I've, I've sort of had to make that that shift away from that work today and forget about it until tomorrow and not let it encroach in personal time. So there, there is an element of sort of work-life balance boundaries that I do practice pretty constantly because, you know, I don't always want to be thinking about work even though it's pretty hard not to when, as you say, work is your life. Yeah, it's something Ben and I are um, kind of working through at the moment because we're launching um, our own business and it's because uh, he's still working full-time, he finishes up. Uh, in a couple of weeks and it's a lot of working at night and you know having conversations when the kids gone to bed and all that kind of stuff so it's we're really really needing to be mindful of having a time uh, where we switch off and a time where we don't talk about work stuff where we you know just just look elsewhere in our lives you know and start to to focus on those other things and I think boundaries are really something that I've given a lot of thought to over the past 12 months or so and I'm only learning really how to kind of set them and then respect them but what I'm finding typically is when you do have boundaries and you're clear about them to yourself and other people you sort of tend to respect them more so do you've got boundaries around your work hours kind of you know the times where you switch off and and focus on other things do you have any other boundaries that sort of help you maintain that mindful intentional sort of life yeah I do and it involves the word no which frightens a lot of people and to be honest has taken me such a long time to come to terms with because as as much as I'm very much my own person I do find it difficult to disappoint other people and I feel as though sometimes when I say no I will be disappointing people but by not 
saying, though, I'm disappointing myself and I don't want to live like that. I don't want to say yes to something I'm only going to resent saying yes to later. So I've, I've learnt the fine art of saying no without apologising, you know, where it's not necessary, without too much hullabaloo, just saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. And, you know, maybe we can do this again in the future or maybe think of me next time or, you know, something like that. So I've said no to a lot of things and sort of had to train myself to not worry about whether I've just shot myself in the foot or not. But it it really has been the only way. When I have two full-time blogs to run, I've got two children under four that are home all the day. You know, I really couldn't that, – that was all I could spend my time on and I really couldn't stretch myself – too thin and probably for uh, the year before last I had said yes to everything because it was exciting and there were so many things to be doing and I was really um, motivated and you know it was one of those real hustle years where you you've got projects on the go and you're excited about them and and suddenly you have no work-life balance but that was also the year where my youngest daughter never slept and we just moved to a new city and by the end of that year I was like oh my god what have I done to myself so last year I practiced saying no and I physically felt lighter about life. And, yes, there were some, you know, wonderful experiences that I've missed out on. But at the end of the day, my days have felt so balanced and positive and everything's had such a good vibe around it that although I had wonderful experiences the year before, this last year has has felt so much better. So this year, I think I'm I'm swinging the pendulum back into the middle, and and sort of not saying yes or no straight away, but thinking about how it's going to benefit all parties involved, but also not being afraid to say no to keep you know to keep that balance going. I think um, it's really heartening to hear how saying no kind of impacted your life uh, because I think there's a lot of fear involved in saying no and missing out on good opportunities is one thing and then the other thing like you mentioned is disappointing people Uh, so it's really heartening I mean that's something that I've struggled with uh, probably last year you know 2015 was the year that I uh, wasn't mindful enough about the things that I agreed to and really ended up bearing the brunt of that you know physically mentally emotionally I was just shattered by the end of the year and got really sick in the middle of the year um so I I don't really do annual themes but if I had one for this year it would probably be say no um so I really I, I take comfort in the fact that you felt so much lighter and freer just by learning to say no I almost felt like a whole new person Maybe because I was getting more sleep, I don't know. But <laughs> Actually, that might I, be. I really did feel, I felt, I felt like the days weren't just rushing by me with me running to catch up. I felt like I was way more in control of how I spent my time and what my energy felt like every day and the kind of household that I was presiding over. You know, I sort of set the tone for the day and and I just felt like everything flowed really well. I mean, work-wise, I obviously wasn't as busy, but it sort of, it didn't really bother me. I I felt like this was just one of those fallow years where we all just sort of have a bit of a rest and then maybe next year I can think about, you know, getting into a bit more of a hustle mode. But it was such a good year and I felt like I I was breathing. I felt really good about it. Um, And I think that, you know, this year I don't really have 
a, a word or a theme or anything, but if I did, it would be just for fun. I was at um, oh, I was at a show the other week and people were playing music. There was like lots of different people playing music, and there was one guy there, and he was playing the piano, and he was like playing punk songs, but on a piano. And I thought, gosh, the piano sounds beautiful. I wish I'd learned it. And I thought, what? Why don't I just learn it? I, there's nothing stopping me from learning it if I want to. Who cares if I'm 35? You know, who cares if I've never really done much with piano before? Just do it because it's fun. So I started. I started learning just because it's fun. And I think, why why shouldn't I do more things this year just because it's fun? Not for any reason. You know, it's not going to further my career. It's not going to help my family. But it's piano sounds beautiful and it's fun. Let's do it. There's something to be said for just creating for the hell of it, you know, like writing for absolutely no reason other than you want to, you know, or learning something new just because it's fun. Like my dad is in his 60s and he started learning guitar last year, never picked up a guitar before in his life. And he's having an absolute ball. Like he's not doing it, um, you know, to, to start a band or anything like that. He's doing it because he's always wanted to. And why the hell not? You know, learn something new, kind of stretch your brain in, in different kind of ways, embrace something just just because. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. And as I was saying before, you know, you can say yes to things in your life that would be, you know, for pretty minimalism, for example, you know, there are some practical things there, but there are some things there that are just there because they're pretty, you know, doing things in life that won't get you anywhere, but doing it because they bring you joy, you know, you may as well, you'll be a happier person and you'll know how to play the piano. It's a win-win. Yeah, everybody wins. (laughs) Pretty minimalism in life as well. I like that. Well, that's a beautiful bow to put on it. Um, thank you so much for talking to me. I've had such a good time. I, I hope I hope this is um, what you were looking for. I tend to waffle at times. It was, so most, it was delightful. It was, right. it was delightful waffling. <laughs> um, I'm a waffler, so I think it was um, it was good. No, no, thank you. Um, so people can, of course, find you at theveggiemama.com if they want to find your incredibly theveggiemama.com. Yeah. Um, your recipes mm-hmm. and you're on social media and stuff that they can connect with you via your website, can't they? They sure can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Not a problem. I enjoyed every minute of it. Awesome. I'll chat to you soon. All right. See ya. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening. Jack Rabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, podcast.